Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit, and we pray that you'd be at work among us now by your spirit, taking your word, opening it to us, deepening our knowledge of him and of you, that we might live faithfully for you. Uh, Especially we'd pray that you'd bind us together as your people through the work of your spirit, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so as you read the book of Acts and uh, in that towards the end of chapter 1, uh, it strikes me that the disciples are in a situation that's a bit like parents waiting for the birth of a child. Um, if you remember that stage of life, uh, you remember that period where uh, you know a baby's coming kind of any day now, but of course no one tells you which day. And so you wake up in the morning think, I wonder if it's going to be today, and then often you get to the end of the night. Well, it wasn't today. And, and the disciples are in a similar situation. The, Jesus has told them, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And you will receive the Spirit who will empower you to be, your, to be my witnesses. Now just wait. And so I, I guess they waited, and they wondered each day, well, I wonder what's going to happen Is it going to happen today? And like waiting parents, when the Spirit comes, it was actually going to change their lives completely. I don't know how much they knew that beforehand, but they certainly would find that out. The Lord had a plan. He'd chosen just the right day for that to take place, for the Spirit to come, but they wait. And I think the analogy of waiting for a birth is really appropriate because what they were about to experience was the birth of the church. Uh, And so I've called the sermon The Birthday and the Blueprint. And so the first part of Acts 2 gives us the birth of the church. So 10 days after Jesus has ascended, so remember Jesus dies on Passover, and then we're told that after his resurrection, he's with them for 40 days... And then it must be about 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover, it happens. The disciples are gathered in the room, and it's filled with this enormous noise, like the rushing of the wind and fire, and the Holy Spirit comes in power. Now, who knows how much time they had to reflect on it as all was happening, but if they had had a moment to thought, think, they should have thought of the, what we call theophanies, the appearances of God in the Old Testament. So often accompanied by the rushing wind of God's mighty power and the fire representing His majesty and holiness. So they might have think, thought of Mount Sinai, uh, where God appeared to the people in, the, in fire on the mountain, or before that even, the, the um, burning bush where God appeared to Moses, or the 
glory cloud and the coming to the tabernacle in, uh, at the end of Exodus or then the temple in, uh, in, in 2 Samuel. These times when God made his presence explicit and obvious. God's always present. But there are moments in biblical history where he makes it overwhelmingly obvious that he is there and with his people. Although when you think about the Old Testament occurrences, there's always a complication, isn't there? The complication of sin. Even if you go back to Adam and Eve, the Lord was with them in the garden, but then they're expelled because of sin. And Moses approaches the burning bush and God says, come no closer. And God's present in his fiery presence on Mount Sinai and he says to the people, do not go up the mountain. And the glory of the Lord comes into the tabernacle and the temple and they're told, you cannot come into the holy place or the most holy place. You're... The Lord is present, but you actually can't come. Even though the Lord is with you, you can't be too near. Uh, and indeed, in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet sees the glory cloud leaving the temple because of Israel's sin. But that's one way in which Pentecost is so different. Because you notice at Pentecost, there is no do not come near. At Pentecost, they're not told, stand back. You, you can't get too close. In fact, just the opposite. The fire comes and rests on each one of them. And all of them are filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we've been following Luke's narrative from reading Luke's gospel, then that language of being full of the Holy Spirit uh, is wonderful and, and actually quite shocking here. Because John the Baptist was full of the Holy Spirit for his special prophetic ministry. And then Jesus, at his baptism, received the Spirit and was full of the Spirit. And now Luke says all of them, the, the whole company, were filled with the Spirit. And Luke emphasizes that it's all of them. They were all together. The tongues of fire came and rested on each of them and all of them were filled. So this is not just the... Put my glass of water. Oh, there. Sorry about that. This is not just the Lord with his people, as in the Old Testament. This is the Lord filling his people, not just alongside them, but within them, not just accompanying them, he will now indwell them. So I've been thinking over the last few weeks, you know, what is it, what, how do you describe the indwelling of the Spirit? What, 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 what kind of mental picture can we have? And I'm not, I, I'm really not sure there is a good illustration, a good kind of analogy or comparison um, the coming of the Spirit is not, and the indwelling of the Spirit is not like a kind of emotion that takes over your whole body or a, a drug that might be in you that changes your thinking and your acting or a force field or an electric charge. None of those work because the Spirit is a, is a person. We, we should say He comes, not it comes. 
This is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And yet, when we have personal relationships with people, we're used to them being kind of over against us in some ways. You know, they speak to us, and if we're talking about humans, we look at them and we uh, perhaps step towards them or we back away from them. And in the Old Testament, you know, Israel's relationship with God was, was like that. But now, it, the, the Spirit indwells us, lives in us, the personal, knowing, speaking, loving God, living within us, uh, drawing us into intimate communion with Himself. And I just don't think there is any kind of other analogy for that. Uh, to help us understand what's going on, I think it certainly is important to notice the pattern of the Trinity here, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. At Pentecost, the emphasis is that the Spirit coming is the gift that the Father has given to the Son. That's what Peter says in his sermon later on, the passage we didn't read, as he talks to the crowd who have gathered to see what's going on. Uh, having talked about Jesus, he says, verse 33 of chapter 2, exalted to the right hand of God, he, that is Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So the Lord Jesus, the incarnate Son, has lived his life faithfully, obeyed the Father in all things, gone to the cross, he's been raised and has ascended to heaven and we're told is seated at the right hand of the Father, has shares in the throne of God and his coronation gift is the Holy Spirit. That's the great gift that the Father gives him. But it's not for himself. As God, he, the Spirit was always his. As the human Messiah... He received the Spirit in fullness at his baptism, but now he's given the Spirit to give to his people. And so he pours that out. And I think uh, John 14, uh, again, if you've got your Bible there and you flip back a couple of pages to John 14, gives us a complementary, helpful complementary perspective on this, helps us to see how richly relational it is. In John 14, this is Jesus' farewell to his disciples. So instead of being at Pentecost, we're now looking forward to what will happen in Pentecost. Uh, it has the same patterns. So verse 16, for instance, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So it's that same pattern. The, the, the Father will give to the Son and through the Son to God's people. But then Jesus says, say verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now how is it that we, that Jesus will come to us, that we will see him, that we will live with his life because he lives. It's because the gift of the Spirit. So this is not only the gift from the Son, but it's also he's giving himself to us. He will be present through the Spirit. 
But not only will he be present, but the Father will be present. So a few verses later in verse 23, Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Uh, And so the, the doctrine of the Trinity actually is the pattern of the Christian life. We live because the Spirit is the gift of the Father through the Son to us, and He's the presence of the Father and the Son. The triune God is present in us, indwelling us. Now, obviously, I'm unpacking a lot of theology there that the disciples didn't know as kind of theological statements as it happened to them. But that's what's happening. Not only is God with them, but he is living in them, indwelling them, communing with them. And that's a radical change from what their experience, the experience of the Old Testament church had been. Um, yes, the Spirit was present, He was at work, but now there's this amazing indwelling of the triune God through the work of the Spirit. But I think the other thing to notice in this birth of the church, well, there's lots of other things, but the other thing I'm going to point out, at least this evening, is that the Spirit comes and dwells us individually together. Uh, and Pentecost shows us both, both the individual, it's for all of them, and it's for them together. Uh, the tongues of fire come and dwell on the head of each person, and each one speaks. This is not just the representative leaders, like we saw in Numbers 11 when the elders of Israel prophesy, and even they only prophesy you know, just, just once, that Numbers tells us it never happened again. And, and um, you know, Joshua says, Joshua's kind of worried for Moses' honour and doesn't want everyone else to prophesy, but Moses says, if only all God's people would be prophets. Well, that's fulfilled here. Mm. In fact, that's exactly the point Peter makes at the beginning of his sermon. He says, this is fulfilling the prophecy from Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those in those days and they will prophesy. So it's for all, but it's for all of them together. This is for individuals, but not, not an individualistic event. It happens to them together as they're gathered. And what we, what we see through the rest of the chapter is that the Holy Spirit draws God's people together and forms us into a community. That's what he always does. And that's really my big point today this evening. When the Spirit comes, He unites us to the triune God. And as He unites us to God, as He connects us to God, as we have communion with God, then at the same time, we have communion with each other. And as we're drawn, we can think of it upwards to God, we're also drawn together with each other. Now, I think it is hard for us to get how kind of corporate this is because we're 
just we live in a culture where we're individualists and we just tend to think of people as individuals and then maybe they decide to get together. And so we do tend to think of the gift of the Spirit as it comes to each person. And then, you know, it's good if we get together, but that kind of becomes a bit secondary. Maybe this analogy can help. Um, So I can be a fan of a footy team. Uh, So for me, it'd be rugby. So watching the Waratahs, I can watch the Waratahs at home on a Friday night. And, you know, I can claim to be a fan. I can be a fan if I just watch them on TV. And I can say, well, it'd be nice to go to the game and be with other people, but it doesn't make me any less of a fan if I'm just on TV on Friday and Saturday nights. But, but having the spirit is more like being on the team than being a fan. And so it does make sense for me to say I can be a fan on weekends watching TV, but I can't say I'm on the team on TV, on, watching on TV on Friday nights from my lounge chair. That's just nonsense. Team <laughs> means I'm, I'm with the others, I'm playing and I'm training. And being filled with the Spirit is like that. It means being part of God's people. There's no communion with God without having communion with his people. The Spirit will always draw us together as he connects us to God. So I thought it was really lovely this evening as we were singing, uh, probably Refiner's Fire, I could say this about as well, but the one I noticed earlier was when we sang that song, Spirit of the Living God, and the language is fall fresh on me. But as we sang, I thought we, that it's a, we're singing it together, right? And so, we, you know, we could have sung fall fresh on us, but it's right to say fall fresh on me because this is a gift for each person But it comes to God's people together, the gift does, he comes to God's people together, and he draws us together. And again, this is a whole new stage and experience to what Israel had had. Uh, there certainly is, we see God's people in the Old Testament, we see a sort of a form of the church in the Old Testament, that's what we're thinking about in the book of Deuteronomy, as God sets out the charter for how his people will live together in the promised land. But they come in as a nation, and while they are to care for each other, they don't have the sort of communion that happens in the New Testament as God's people are congregations, are communities, are assemblies of people who the Spirit draws together. And so this is the birth of the church. And when we move then to the second part of the passage, what we see is what I've called the blueprint for the church. So I think the opening verses, the the event of Pentecost itself, is a one-off event. It's the great moment of the birth of the church. And it ranks alongside all these other great events in biblical history, creation and um, the promise to Abraham and the exodus, the coming of Jesus, the incarnation and his life and his death and his resurrection and Pentecost, it's one of those great epoch-forming historical markers. And that's why it's helpful to think of it as a birth because births are one-off. They happen once, you don't repeat them, but they certainly have ongoing implications. And what we see towards the end of the chapter is the kind of community 
that the Spirit forms. Um, and I think one of the thing, ways you see in the book of Acts that the beginning of chapter 2, and Pentecost is not repeated, is it's actually not repeated. They don't, we don't hear those sort of things being told us again. But what we hear about at the end of the chapter is repeated again and again and again through the book of Acts. We're meant to see this is the kind of community that the Spirit will keep on producing. So we say the coming of the Spirit draws us together. He makes us God's people together. What does that, what's that like? What is it like to live in the community of the Spirit? Four quick things to notice in the second part of the passage, in the blueprint. First, this is a Jesus community committed to Jesus. That's the message that forms the church. Peter proclaims Jesus and his death and his resurrection. And when the, people are, when the crowd are convicted and they say, what should we do? Peter's answer is, repent and believe and be, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, being baptised certainly is the imagery of being washed and cleansed and therefore forgiven. But being baptised in Jesus' name is also the reality of being claimed by Jesus. He puts his name on you. These are the people who Jesus owns. And it's also a sign of loyalty and commitment to Jesus. These are the people who belong to Jesus and have committed themselves to him. The church is the people who are committed to Jesus because they've been filled with his spirit. And of course, that makes sense. This is the spirit that's the gift of the Father to the Son. This is the Spirit who brings the presence of the Son and the Father to us. So the way into the church is through Jesus and baptism in his name. And the first thing Peter tells us that the church does is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And of course, that's shorthand, I guess you could say, for the apostles' teaching about Jesus. That's what the apostles are there for. They were the ones who were with Jesus. That's what they're teaching. They're telling the church about who Jesus is and all he's done and what it means to live for him. So a church like this, like us here, should be open to anyone to come and have a look and visit and see what's going on and to hear and consider uh, and if that's something you're doing this evening, we're so glad that you're doing that. Uh, and it might be something that you've done for a, quite a bit of time, looking in and seeing what we're doing. Uh, but you do need to realise that what makes you actually part of the church is to be a Jesus person, because that's what the Spirit does. And the first order of our life will always be to hear the apostles' teaching about Jesus. So the Spirit makes a, makes a community that's committed to Jesus. Secondly, the Spirit brings shared worship to the Father through the Son. In verse 42, Luke tells us they were committed also, devoted themselves to the, to the fellowship, to the sharing, to the communion. But you know, you're going to say, well, in what? What are, you, what are they fellowshipping in? Well, Lots of things here, but especially those activities that are described, the apostles' teaching, 
the, the breaking of bread, which, which I think is the Lord's Supper. Not all commentators think that, but that's the way I take it. It's the Lord's Supper. And the, it says to prayer, but some of the translations will say to the prayers. I think first of all, they're thinking of the Jewish pattern of prayers, including and especially praying in the temple. And, and we're told that, verse 46, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. But it's not just that kind of gathered worship. They're also in each other's homes. Breaking bread, there I think it's, it's not the breaking of bread, it's just breaking bread. I think there it's just eating together. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God. So it's a picture of people connected to each other by the Spirit, together, publicly and privately, devoted to God in Christ, worshipping together. And, and that's been the pattern of the church all through the ages. Uh, all sorts of other things that the church has done. And all sorts of different ways it's done that. But it, it, it is amazing as you look through church history how for all the things that have gone wrong in church, and I'll say a bit more about that in a moment, uh, this central activity of worshipping God, worshipping the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit has been at the very heart of church life. That's what marks us as the people who are devoted to Jesus. The third thing we see here is a community of joyful generosity. Uh, certainly they're sharing their life together, they're sharing worship together, they're eating in each other's homes, they're showing hospitality to each other, but they also set up a welfare system to care for the poor. Again, we can make the contrast or comparison with the Old Testament. Uh, Old Testament, there's laws about caring for the poor, and Israel were meant to care for the poor among them. But they, obviously, they did it quite inconsistently. But now Luke tells us they had everything common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. In the fellowship of the Spirit, believers give to each other generously and, and joyfully. They share together in, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. This is, it, it underlines that it's real human community. You know, it's not just that they happen to know each other. They really are engaged with each other, sh sharing even in the needs that each other have. Uh, and in early Christianity, that was a key attraction of the church, uh, Life in the Roman Empire was absolutely brutal, especially if you were weak or poor or a slave. And of course, that was the vast majority of the population. And one of the things that attracted people to the church was the love and care. The fact that people called each other brother and sister. He was a community that shone as being different to the culture around them in the way they cared for each other. And of course, that continues on. There's lots of churches that do all sorts of welfare and poverty relief um, and, and care for those among them, and we can and we should, um, and probably we should do that more than we do. But, but even where we don't need material help, um, 
it's amazing to see the difference that real community makes and real church community. There's been some fascinating research about the health benefits of regular church attendance. So one study published in 2020, so fairly recently, found that people who attended church weekly reduced their total risk of death, so the chance of dying in any given period of time, by 25%. They had less experience of depression, anxiety, hopelessness and loneliness. They were more likely to, to, to have life satisfaction, social integration and purpose in life. Now, I'm not saying you should just go to church because it's good for you, good for your health, uh, but I th- it is in, you know, real community and the community that the Spirit produces of people who together are committed to Jesus and therefore committed to each other actually makes a difference in, in people's lives. Finally, fourth, uh, the Spirit brings more people to Jesus and his church. There's gospel growth. Uh, so we see that at the beginning as as Peter preaches, 3,000 added. And then at the end, Luke says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's the pattern through the book of Acts. The gospel goes out and uh, new churches are formed. And as new churches are formed, people are baptized and become Christians and join the church. And the gospel continues to go out from those churches. And it's interesting to think about that list of places that people came from where they heard the message on, the book, in, in, on, on Pentecost and the way in which the gospel spread to those places and beyond in the next few years and decades. It went down to Egypt and then further down beyond Egypt to Ethiopia, along the coast of North Africa to Carthage. Uh, from Mesopotamia, which is mentioned, it went to the east to India and then ultimately to China within a century or so, from Rome to Gaul to Britain and Germany, and then of course in time spreading to every corner of the world. Starting churches where people worship and love and speak about Jesus and the gospel grows. Now as I describe that blueprint, you may well be thinking to yourself, It's not always like that. Uh, You might actually be deeply disappointed with what church has been like for you. Being here tonight might be really quite a struggle for you because of things that have happened. Um, And it's already clear as you read through the book of Acts that this blueprint is an ideal and the church often falls short of it. And, and, you know, almost every letter in the the rest of the New Testament is written because something's gone wrong. in the church, and they need to be reminded of who they are and how they should live. Uh, And so we see this blueprint, it doesn't mean we should be idealistic at all and think, oh, churches are always like this, Uh, you know, it kind of automatically happens. In fact, one of our responses should be to keep praying that our church and other churches will be what they're meant to be and keep working at that. Uh, But the confidence we have as we pray for that and work at it, is that we live in the power of the Spirit. And as I've been thinking about Acts chapter 2 over the last few weeks, I think what's 
really struck me the most, what, what seems most to me most remarkable, is that there's a real connection between the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost and my experience. Uh, certainly churches can be messy and imperfect and frustrating, uh, yet for all of that, uh, in our church, in our churches, and in other churches that I'm privileged to have a little glimpse into, I see the fellowship of the Spirit. I see people trusting Jesus as Lord and Saviour. I see them together worshipping the triune God. I see them loving each other as sisters and brothers and presenting Christ to the world. And all we can say to that is thank God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit, the connection we have to you, not, a, not produced by us, but that you live in us and indwell us and direct us, speak to us. We thank you do, you do that to, with us together. And so we pray for, especially this evening for Alive at Five and for the other churches in, in our group of churches and for other churches in Australia and around the world. Make us, keep us faithful to Jesus, proclaiming him and trusting him. Keep us turning to you in worship and turning to one another in love and care. Lord, we can only do this by your spirit, but as he is at work, uh, we're confident because of his guidance and direction in life that, the, that we can do this. And so we look to your, for your help to do it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.